And so let's get into our conversation today. We're still kind of in uh, with this part of Genesis, of course, but we're in chapter, uh, chapter 43. So where we are at in the story is the famine now is spread beyond Egypt. It's in Canaan. It's all it's all around the Mediterranean. This is a very severe thing, and God had had already uh, foretold this to Joseph that it was going to last for seven years. So this was not some minor little local problem. This was a, a regional, maybe in some sense, universal problem. And so again, it part of it is, in terms of the story, is that we're thinking about what's going on at the local surface level, and then what's going on in terms of God's plan, his bigger picture is the bigger thing is that God is in the process now of, of, of moving Israel and his family, that's the other name for Jacob and his family, they're going to move and the only way to get them to do that is that there's nothing to eat, right? There's no food and so somehow that has got to happen. So God has the big thing going on while there is the everyday thing going on to think of it that way. So what we've been talking about in terms of what the uh, what the chart up on the board is about is thinking in terms of how it how is it that or what is the benefit of hanging on to God's promises when life isn't going the way we think it ought to go, right? The the benefit of it, of course, is eternity. That would be the benefit of it e eternally. But of what benefit is it to us or what blessing is it to us while we're going through it because life itself has a way of throwing one curveball after the other and very often those things impose themselves on us it's not like any of us wishes for that nobody wakes up in the morning and says lord give me the crummiest day ever that you could give me <laughs> nobody does that right but that's what happens and so when it does what are we to do with that? How are we to handle it? So when we think in terms of Joseph, Joseph started out when he was a, a, a child, he was given the vision of this promise. The promise in vision form was that at some point in life, his brothers and his family were going to be bowing down to him, suggesting that he was going to elevate to some higher authority or some, some higher level, higher calling, than where they were, and they did not receive that well. And so then, the, uh, as the story goes, the brothers said, well, we're gonna hear of you. So they threw him into the, into the dungeon, then uh, some slave traders came along, and they picked him up, swooped him up, and sold him to the traders, and they took him to Egypt, and he, he prospered there. Remember that? He was actually in, in, in good standing with his master Potiphar, well, then the whole thing with Potiphar's wife, he was falsely accused of sexual misconduct, right? And so then what happens? He goes into prison. Then he's in prison, and what happens? Uh-oh. I'll just talk louder, okay? Uh, while he's in prison, and uh, these two guys that are also in prison there, they have dreams, and he's able to interpret the dreams. Would somebody uh, text... Uh, uh, Daniel. Yeah. Um, and, and so then uh, he's successful at that. He's known as the interpreter of dreams. And he says, hey, can you guys get back and you're standing with Pharaoh? Please let him know that I'm here. Right? 
And so then what happened? They forgot him, right? So now he's he's languishing even more prison. He's making the best that he can. And finally what happens is Pharaoh has a dream. And then the cupbearer remembers that it is Joseph who was able to interpret it. And now Joseph is out. So what this means, what the chart is, is that the promise that occurred when life was great, what happened after that went downhill for him. And so in terms of what the, that's what happens in life. When things go sour for us, right? When things go bad for us, we go down into this dip. Um, so it, life, life, life takes that dip for us. Now what happens very often is, is that post-dip post, uh, or post-difficulty in life. We also experience different moments in life that take us back to that original, uh, that original loss that we suffered. And so when you think in terms of Joseph, the original thing was his brothers sold him into slavery. That was the original thing. But later on in his life, there were also some other moments when he experienced the idea of being forgotten of being forsaken. And so what often happens in terms of loss is that when those when those moments occur, the feeling is it takes us right back to where we were before. And in our minds we go, uh-oh, here we go again, right? It's not as bad as the original loss, but it still feels pretty, pretty tough. So one of the things that we're going to be thinking about here is Joseph now is seeing his brothers for the very first time. See, it's been a lot of years, and oftentimes what happens is that over time, do you forget what happened when so, in terms of what someone did to you? If what they did to you was a pretty traumatic thing, do you forget it over time? It kind of recedes a little bit, doesn't it? And you think, oh, I must have gotten over it, right? I must have moved past it. I must be in a better place. Until what? Until you come face to face with the person who did it. And in this case, it's his brothers. His brothers come back, and they don't recognize him, but the Bible says what? He recognized them. And so often what happens is when you come face to face with the person who did it, you experience what's called flooding. And flooding means is that all the emotions of what happened before come flooding back, okay? What might some of those emotions have been that Joseph would have experienced uh, when, in that moment, do you think? Anger. Pardon? Anger. Anger, absolutely. Where he would have thought to himself, oh my gosh, here, here it all comes back again, and I'm, I'm remembering, remembering, what it is that my brothers did to me. What else do you think? Yeah, disappointment. How about sadness? So what we've seen in the story up to this point is these moments in the interaction between Joseph and his brothers that he has to, he has to remove himself from their presence and go away and weep. Now, I, I think last week I was thinking that the weeping had to do with he was joyful at seeing them. I've had a week to think about that. <laughs> I don't think it was. It was painful. Yes, I think that he was now having to come face to face with his abusers, with the perpetrators of this, 
granted, now he's up here and there down here. That part's true. But that does not change the emotional reality of what they did to him. And I think his weeping is another way of saying is that he had to go compose himself or he was probably going to kill him. This probably was what? So this little testing going on. Remember, so what does he say? He says, uh, I'm going to give you what you want, but, uh, but there's also this transaction going on in terms of I'm keeping one of your brothers because you guys are spies and you're wanting to, uh, to uh, ferret out our weaknesses here. And so in order to prove your honesty, in, in order to prove that I can trust you, right, I'm going to keep one of you here as a hostage. And then when you go back, you have to do what? Bring Benjamin, the youngest. All right. Now, on some level, he he wants to know who is still alive. But on the other part of it is is that he's dealing with all the emotions that he felt before, or he didn't feel before, but now he does. Um, and so now this is like a major test. This is a major sort of little bit of I'm going to get even with you. I'm going to make things even, right? But also, at the end of the day, he wants to see his, his family back, okay? So that's where, that's where we're at in terms of where we're going. So here's, here's I, get, I think, the bottom line. This is how life goes, right? This is how we think it ought to be. We think that for God to be fulfilling his promises with us, it ought to be a straight line. That's what we think. And we're quite surprised and at times dismayed when life goes this way. Because on some level, I think sometimes the delusion of faith is, is that we think life ought to be easier because we're a Christian. Life ought to be, uh, it ought to be, it ought to show some tangible benefit, which would include the absence of suffering, the absence of loss, the absence of pain. Yeah, Dennis. Say that again because it didn't quite resonate with me. I said he tells us several times in the Bible that in order to enjoy eternity with him, we're going to have to suffer. And so we're hurting when we get there. I don't. I think the part that I'm not quite clicking with is when you say in order to enjoy heaven, I have to suffer on earth. I'm not. Is that what you mean? Because I don't know if that's. I don't know if I resonate with that. Because of because we're going to be. Ah, that's different. Yeah. When you say something is because of, that's different than saying in order. I was tripping over that a little bit. It's okay. Yeah. But, but again, it, the reality is, is that when you live in a broken world and you yourself are broken, that means you contribute to the brokenness of the world. It isn't like we can say, oh, the world is broken and we're only affected by it. We're affected by it and we're adding to it, right? So the reality is, is that heaven itself is not broken. We will enjoy that later. But because that's what we hold to in a world that does not hold to it, and in fact is antagonistic toward it, the suffering will, certainly, will surely come. Yeah, great point. Somebody else had their hand up. Yeah, Richard. The other thing is, <clears throat> as you go down that, that slope. The dip, yeah. Okay. Um, we're making all kinds of observations. And then we hit the, the, uh, the dip, the valley, yeah. the depths. Yeah. I know there's a phrase for that. Trough. I can't think of it. But then, but we build our faith. Yeah. You know, if you're, and Paul uses the muscles thing, you know, if you 
don't you develop your muscle? Now when you're doing a flat line, you wouldn't develop any muscle. It's almost possible. So what is it that you gain by going through this that you would not have gained if it was just a straight line? Well, faith is a gift that we have from God, so it, there may be a maturing of the faith might be a way of saying it, okay? But what else? You know, a lot of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. What, what's good and what's bad and what should I do about it? Yeah, you, there's some discernment aspect to that. What can you control, what you can't control? The, the other part I was thinking of is that what if you were the only person in the history of the world to have experienced this and everybody else in the world experienced this. What would you what would you have lost? The capacity to have empathy. See, if everything was oh, oh wonderful in my life and there was never anything wrong, I have no empathy for you who go through the dips and the turns and the twists. So there is perspective that you gain by going through this, but obviously. You don't realize that you have the empathy until you're here. <laughs> because when you're here, there's no empathy there. It's very difficult. I say no. There's, it's very difficult to have it when you're in the, in the thick of it. But afterwards, you can look back and say, okay, I walked through that and survived. I walked through that and God was with me. And when somebody else comes along in your life and says, I'm right, I'm right there, you can say, yeah, I know. So you're able to do that in a way only because you've gone through this a million times, right? Yeah. Just, a, just also a, a kind of thought is that even the Son of God, Jesus, had to go through the same way. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. And so it, it, it is alluding to what, what Dennis said a moment ago, is that the Bible talks about this idea that as we were baptized into Christ, so we suffer with Christ, right? But then we rise again with Christ, and we enjoy the bliss of eternity as he is enjoying the bliss of eternity. Okay, shall we get to our lesson for today? <laughs> All right, let's do that. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little bit more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless my, your brother is with you. If you send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you will not see my face again until your brother is with you. Okay, so how long do you think it would have taken for them to eat all the grain that they had bought, that they had bought before? I don't really know, but I'm just guessing. Anybody? A year? What do you think? A year? Something like that? Depends on how much. Yeah, thank you. A year and two days, Janice. You didn't think much about Simon sitting down there in prison. Well, that's what I was thinking. What about Simeon? He's sitting there the whole time, and we don't know. I mean, maybe he was doing hard labor. We don't know. But, you know, I'm thinking, I bet he's thinking, man, what a rip I got, you know, on this deal. But there would have been a little replay of the life before. All right. Um, what do we know about Judah? What do you remember about Judah? He's changed. Has he changed? Maybe a little No, Reuben. Reuben is the oldest. Judah was one of the uh, one of the guys that instigated selling uh, Joseph into uh, into the Ishmaelites, 
and then masterminding the cover-up with the uh, animal's blood on the coat of many colors. Remember that? So Judah, you know, it, we can't tell here if he is repentant yet, right? But he does show up in this sort of pragmatic way, right? All right, well, let's see what happens here. Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, well, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked us? Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? I mean, this is a classic father-son conversation going on here. The father is saying, you guys did this, and they're going, we, what? We didn't know. We didn't know. Clueless guys. All right. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me, and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned to <laughs> <laughs> This is just so hilarious. All right, now what's the difference? This is Now this is the second time, right? This will be the second trip back to Egypt. And they've had this conversation already with, with their father, right? So, so what's the difference between what Judah is saying and what Reuben said earlier? You have to go back. Remember, see, Reuben, he said something about this idea of uh, bringing somebody back safely. So what's the di what did Reuben say with he would take responsibility in what way versus Judah? Remember? Reuben said... If if we don't if we don't come back with with uh, with Benjamin, then uh, then I will I, I will be held responsible, but my kids will bear the punishment, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. But Judah is saying what? Oh, I will, right? So there is a slight little shift here in terms of taking responsibility for uh, for the situation, all right? So let's go here, uh, verse eleven. Then their father said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. A lot of antioxidants were in this, uh, <laughs> in this gift bag that he had in mind. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sack. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your brother and Benjamin, so he's thinking about Simeon, brother, come back to you. As for me, I, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So what do you what do we see in uh, in in Jacob at this point now? He's resigned to it, right? He says, "I we're in survival mode. I mean, we got to have food, and there's no way we're going to get it unless we do this transaction. So uh, whatever's going to be is going to be okay." So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, 
he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men, that's the brothers, right? They were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. Are they paranoid? Yeah. Scared. Why? Why? They're guilty. I mean, they, they kind of saw what Joseph already did, right? They saw that part, so they know that he is not to be trifled with. He means what he says when he says it, okay? But you sort of get the sense here that, and some of you have mentioned guilt. So how would guilt, how would that impact um, this kind of over-the-top fear that they are expressing? Where they can't even look at the possibility that it would be something else. Like, hey, maybe he likes us and he wants to have us over his food. You know, I mean, it, it, it it doesn't even occur to them that there would be any other possibility except this one. So they are in extreme anxiety and extreme reactivity. That's where they're at. Yeah. Well, the, the family operates on deceit. What a great point. Did you hear what he said? Yeah. This is a great point. This is the family norm, is it not? Yes. Yes. And so he who lives by deceit will die by deceit, I guess, is, is maybe how that works. Did you want to say more about that after that brilliant comment that you made? You know, Better stop right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. So, so, okay, so let's step back from it just a second. All right, so what is it about guilt that can impact you to such a degree that it... It, it causes you to think irrationally or at least a little bit irrational that's covered up with a whole bunch of irrational, right? That's kind of what fear does. What is it about guilt that does that? Because we all have guilt and we all experience guilt, but there's a difference here. What's the difference? So what would stop it or what would temper it? Because that's what it does. So what would temper it or keep that from consuming you to the point where everything is negative, everything is fearful, everything is is uh, is, is terror-based. Confession. So it's not just guilt, right? It's unrepented sin. See, have they come, have they, have they repented yet for what they did? But they don't know him. They don't recognize him. They haven't repented to him. Okay. So there's been no reconciliation between the two of them. Well, they don't know, they don't know he's his brother. Yes. That's correct. Yeah. You're saying not to God? They haven't confessed They haven't to repented God. to God. That okay. at least that is suggested that way. Now, okay. maybe they had, but if they had, then the spirit of forgiveness and being forgiven would be in their heart. You don't get the sense that that is what's happened here. They have a reason. Pardon? They're, they're at the point now that they're just afraid that that he thinks that they took that still silver home. Yes. And they're afraid of his his judgment because he's so much more powerful. Right, right. So they're, they're terrified. Of and they're fearful of God because we saw it in the previous chapter. Why is God doing this to us? Right? Right? 
we, now, I think we all say that a little bit, but, but when you hold on to the promise that God has given us in Christ, now we say that from our perspective 3,000 years later, but when you hold on to the promise, the, the promise of the promise is that it uh, redeems us. It, what it does is it takes that guilt and washes it away. So even though God had forgiven them already, they certainly didn't know it. They, had, they weren't living it. They were living still in the fear. And that's what unrepentant guilt does. It consumes you to the point where you're not thinking straight about things that happen in life. You're only attributing it to God's punishment, or you're only attributing it to that uh, it's a bad thing instead of a good thing. Okay? Yeah, Eddie. And, and they are not used to generosity, and they become suspicious. Yes. If they see a good deed. That's right. They can't see it as a positive at all. Yeah. So there's something to be said for that when you look at the reaction of what has happened in the brothers versus what has happened to in terms of Joseph. All right, let's keep going. Verse 19. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, the steward said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. And then he brought Simeon out to them. What has just happened? God did a miracle of provision. The steward received silver for the purchase. But the, but the silver the steward received was not the, the silver in their sack. Boy, I wish that would happen to you. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> do, you get what it, do you get what it's saying here? Is that God provided in a miraculous way for the payment for the food to be delivered. But it came from God. It did not come from what was in the sacks of the, uh, of the brothers. Yeah, but still payment was made. See, it because they would have needed to have an accounting for that, right? You couldn't just give it away and then stash the silver in their sacks because then now you have a, a, a dishonesty there. So there had to be payment made. But and the steward, uh, the steward recognized that. Now, what what's the other thing that's just occurred in that in that moment? The steward talked about miracles. Yes. An Egyptian pagan is giving acknowledgement to God. Now, again, the Egyptians were uh, polytheistic in the sense that they believed in a lot of gods. So it wasn't like they would say, You're, he's the only God. But he is acknowledging the, uh, the existence of and the provision of Yahweh, right? So pretty cool stuff has happened here at, in that moment. All right. Next page. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon, because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, 
and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. So now you sort of get the little sense that now the weeping is joy-based because he is seeing his full brother, right? Because they both share the same, uh, the same mother. And so then he's got to go and compose himself because he is still in charge, right? So after he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest. So you got this lineup, right? Okay. And they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anybody else's. And so they feasted and drank freely with him. All right, so what do you make of this uh, prejudice that exists between the Egyptians and and the Hebrews. What do you make of it? The note, I found that the, the reason actually is in the note. The reason for the refusal to share in table fellowship was the fact that Canaanites ate animals, many of which were sacred to Egyptians. Thus, out of a, a religious right came prejudice, maybe racism, I don't know, and discrimination. To Joseph's credit, he had invited his brothers to the meal, but retained the Egyptian custom of each being served at their own table. So it's kind of interesting that here Joseph, who is a Hebrew by birth, but now is living and operating in a foreign land in, in Egypt, and the religions and the culture and everything is different, he didn't seek out an attempt or make an attempt to change the culture of the uh, Egyptians, did he? He just said, I'm going to accommodate to that, but I still retain my own beliefs, my own religion, my own kind of way of doing things. And what's interesting is, is that his devotion to, to the Lord was not lost on the Egyptians. They saw that, right? They, they, uh, they witnessed to it, and they even, as we saw in the case of the steward, they were impacted, impacted by it uh, of giving God credit for things that they couldn't otherwise explain. So it says a lot about the idea that the importance of retaining our Christian faith and the outward practices of our faith, even if we are engaged with or, or living with or living in an area where uh, Christianity itself would not even be acknowledged, much less appreciated. Okay, uh, Is there a risk to that? Kind of a dumb question, actually, because the answer is yes. There is a risk that if you don't buy into what the culture is doing and do it and believe what the culture is believing, that the culture will uh, 
if not shun you, they'll actively uh, prosecute. And that's some of what we're seeing today. All right. Um, so what do you make of Benjamin's portion getting five times a day? <laughs> he was a skinny little kid, and they needed to fatten him up. And that was like, no. It's kind of, kind of an interesting little thing. We see that parallel in the New Testament quite a bit in Jesus' teaching. The first will be last, the last will be first, right? That it turns everything upside down. The expectation was, you can imagine, uh, Joseph's table is at the head, and then all the food is served from his table, right? And so you have Reuben, and you have all the way down to Benjamin. So the expectation was, who should have gotten by rights the most? The oldest, of course. That's the way it ought to be, right? And so, uh, and then, and then, leftover, 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 and then nothing for the little guy at the end of the table, right? So you can imagine. Here comes the food. First, Reuben gets served a certain amount. Then next to him, that guy gets the same amount, same amount, same amount, same amount. And then they bring this giant uh, cart in, <laughs> and they put that food right in front of Benjamin. Can you imagine the astonishment that they had? Wait a minute, how come the youngest? And still, they're clueless. They don't realize who this is, right? They don't realize that this is Joseph. Okay. So, what's going to happen next? They would have recognized his voice. They wouldn't recognize him because uh, Hebert didn't shave, and he was probably shaved. It had been many years. Yeah. Yeah, and plus... They had written him off, and when you think someone is dead, you're not even looking for the possibility that it would be any other way. Okay, I mean that ca- that happened on Easter. Remember how how it was with uh, Jesus's disciples and even the women that, at the tomb. You know, it, it couldn't be him. It had to be the gardener. You know that kind of thing. So sometimes our own imagination of how it is. Uh, gets in the way of the truth of, of how they saw Jesus on the cross whereas they didn't really know about Joseph they did not know they that's really right didn't know. right but enough time had passed and they didn't ever hear from him there were no postcards that were sent there was, <laughs> you know, there was none uh, send money you know there wasn't anything like that and so they just you know and again some of that is that guilt that, that unrepentant guilt is that that they were living as if it really had happened that he died. And when you think of it that way, or they thought, then that absolves us of any guilt in it because he died, or he was no more, as, as they said. Okay, well, other thoughts? Was, they would have thought he was a slave anyway. So yeah. Somebody with the power that they Yes, exactly. Yeah. And we're seeing the earthly culmination happen. They're bound down to him regularly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be a good good thing to research that to see if they do they do tattoos or anything or was it just shaving? Yeah. Well, he was clothes alone. On the clothes, you know, he probably was in royal garb. Yeah, sure. The last thing in the world you would want to imagine your brother would be would be like, right? Okay, any other thoughts? Any other comments? Yeah, Dennis. God's purpose here was to get the Israelites down to Egypt so he could train them for a long period. Yeah. But Joseph had to get that mission up over what happened. His brothers 
So it sort of suggests, and it could even be among us here this morning, is that God has his eye on any of us and says, I've kind of got a plan for you. And the plan is, is that you're going to be doing some things for me that are you can't even imagine. But the pathway to preparing you for might be tough. And so again, it it sort of speaks to the idea that how you can get through all of this, right? The loss, the difficulty, the hardship, the struggle, the unfairness, the injustice, um, the accusations, all, all that, okay? You're not going to be able to get through it successfully. I just use that word kind of because I can't think of another one, all right? You're, you're not going to get through it intact, unless you can hang your faith onto something greater than you. Because if all you have in life to hang on to is the hope that I can get through this, or the hope that it won't happen again, or the, the hope that, well, there's something I can do on the front end to prevent this. And if I can just figure out what it is, then I can keep that from happening. If that's the only thing you have to hang on into life, you won't survive it, okay? So what is it that we have and can hang on to that will take us through this and not destroy us? It, it is faith, but it's faith in what? It's faith in the promise. And that's what Joseph was able to do. That's what we have to do, right? Because this is going to happen to one degree or another, and it won't happen just once. There's a repetition in life that happens that way. So notice what I did was, down here, when we're going through the flooding, there's an aspect of it that you remember and that you relive. See, it's almost impossible to remember a traumatic event in your life and not relive it. Because your body will relive it as if it's happening right now, even though it happened 20 years ago. That's how the body works, right? So you think, how do I keep from being crushed when this occurs? It's not about what you remember, it's about what you recall. What Joseph did was he recalled again and again, maybe hour by hour, but for sure day by day. That was in his worship, right? In his worship of Yahweh, he recalled the promise that God made. And he would have recalled the stories that he had heard growing up of the way that God delivered on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the whole thing. So the value of knowing the stories and hearing the stories of how God delivered and how God came through for his people is part of what we recall See, what's the difference between recalling something and remembering something? They sound the same. They are not the same. Really. What's the difference? Recall is active. So the body and the brain remember stuff that you don't want to remember. That's what happens. Recalling is an intentional moment where I bring into that moment and I say, but here's what God did. So what we recall every single day, and sometimes it's minute by minute, because when you're in this, this is this pretty well surrounds you. And so that's where recalling comes down and says, yeah, this is terrible what I'm going through. I don't wouldn't wish it on my worst uh, enemy, right? But God is good. God is good. 
And that's also, I think, a benefit that we give to each other, is that we each can recall on behalf of each other. And I don't think, I don't think it's an attempt to just sort of sugarcoat stuff and say, oh, yeah, but God is good and he loves you. You know, I mean, you could say it in a disingenuous way, I suppose. But there's truth to that, right? There's truth. And the truth of it is that God is good and God is in charge. And look what God has done for us in Christ. And that is the thing we hang on to. We may not hear it when we're down here, right? We might hear it better when we're up here. But the truth of it is, that's a gift that we can give to each other when in that moment of having gone through this 20 times, a family member or a friend is down here and you're what? You're the one. You're the one sitting there with them or you're the one on the phone with them or however the interaction takes place, okay? So it's, it's important for us to learn from what Joseph did because again, some of what Joseph went through, he earned, right? At least on the very front end. But a lot of what he went through was imposed on him. He didn't do anything to deserve it. Okay, thoughts about that? Does it resonate? Yeah, good. Okay, um, next week, um, we'll continue with chapter, what chapter is it? But I've also asked Bob Orr if he would be willing to teach for me. I got a very full week uh, that's coming up with my mom's funeral on uh, Thursday. I will be here. I just don't know if my brain will be here, okay? And so I've asked Bob to, to take the class for, for me. I'll prepare the notes, and then he's got a little extra part that he's going to prepare. So, so we'll have the class here, and then also the class that will be over in the chapel for those that want to do that. And we'll, uh, we'll have two, uh, two great gigs going on at the same time. Yeah. Can I make an announcement sure. about today? The, uh, we have at uh, 1 o'clock, we have the get-together. Two o'clock. Oh, yeah, two o'clock. Yeah, the caregiver. together on the caregivers. Yeah. It's predominantly being presented by a group uh, of caregivers. It's companies mm -hmm. that provides caregivers uh, to those who need it. And we, we, you know, every age, we reach a point where someone in our family uh, has to go into either assisted living or assisted care, but not in necessarily in, in nurse care. Right. Uh, and that's what these people provide, and it's something we all ought to know about. Yeah, so. I, I had a personal relationship with the one lady that's coming. That's how I met her, because I was in that situation with my mom. Uh -huh. And I was totally lost and overwhelmed. I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't know. And it's interesting that the, there's people that actually have moved into, into a retirement village. Yeah. They're, they're not in the assisted care position, right. but they may be... Uh, having problems with vision or mobility, and they need someone to help them out. And the people at the retirement village don't provide that. That's right. So these people can come in, yeah. or they may just want to stay in their home. Uh, you think of George Feininger, for example, yeah. Yeah. who needs, needs a, a yeah, full-time assistant. Sure. So that's what, what these people do. And it's certain important. So again, if you're going to come to that, come earlier than 2, because we're going to start at 2. We go 2 to 4. And we'll be very prompt with our time. So if you come at 1.30, you can sign in, grab a cookie, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Primarily dealing with how to help while caring. And more related to adult, like referring yourself to your elders. So it can be, but it also could be someone who's chronically ill in that sense, or terminally ill. That, but 
you're, age, really. Yeah, you're the caregiver and you're the family member, most likely, and and you're having to provide and you don't know where to turn. Okay. It is. For example, is. you're still working and you have someone in your family that needs some care. You can't be there both places at the same time. So you can have someone come in two hours, three hours, go shopping for them or whatever to help out. <coughs> so we think this is coming out of Messiah Stuck, which is our caregiving arm in the church. We're not exactly sure. We think that there's a big need for this, but we're not sure. So this is the first shot at identifying that. So it could be that we do this, and through it, then we discover that there's a greater need in our church and in the community that we can minister to. So it's a little bit of like anything, when you do it the first time, you don't really know. You kind of think, but you don't really know. So it may be opening up a, a wonderful can of worms. Okay. It might be, and we'll figure out some things that we can uh, that we can offer through that. Okay, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the way that your word is the is the promise that we need that we need through life. That the ups and downs of life that happen, and very often they just kind of happen now out of the blue. Boom, here they come, and we're sort of reeling from it. Sometimes we can see those things coming, but other times. They just sort of jump up right out of the blue. The good news for us is that your promises uh, stay true and faithful, and you are faithful to them through all of them. That's what we hang on to. That's what we recall. And that's what enables us to get from point A to point B. So, dear Lord, wherever any of us are today in any in dealing with any of those things with life, remind us that, you love us, that you sent Jesus to be our Savior, that life is redeemed because of him, and that at the end of the day, the end of the story for us is not the end. It is a new beginning in heaven. Help us to hang on to that, and help us also to share that with each other and with those that we know and, and discover who are in need of the hope that that brings. So watch over us this day, dear Lord. Be with uh, me and my family this week and be with everyone who's dealing with different kinds of loss and change. And then also bless our seminar later on today that we can be a ministering hope to, uh, to people who need that as well. Until we're together again, we pray these things.